Tonight we're talking an earnings decline, new cracks in the job market, the good, the bad, what it all means to you. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. A lot to talk about and it's Monday. So that means we get to talk about it, of course, with Allworth's Chief Investment Officer, Andy Stout. Always here on Mondays to bring sense to what's going on in the markets, the economy. We're early in the earnings season. Uh, Andy, and, and oftentimes earnings season kind of comes and goes during what I'll call normal times and people don't pay a heck of a lot of attention, but everyone's paying attention now because earnings can tell us a lot about inflation and a lot of other things right now. Yeah, and it's certainly telling us that companies are not able to pass along all of their increased cost to their consumers. So when you look at what Wall Street has expected at the start of earnings season, Mm -hmm. they were looking for corporate profits to be 8.2% lower in the first quarter of 2023 compared to the first quarter of 2022. That's a, that's a sizable drop, right? Yeah. And so far it's, it's early in the earnings season. Uh, We have about 89 uh, large cap companies having reported so far, which is about 17, 18% of the S&P 500 index. Uh, and so far, the growth rate or maybe contraction rates, a better word, is 7.3%. So earnings are 7.3% lower than the same time last year. So a little bit better than expected, but still negative and it's not a good number. Andy, I wanted to remind people, normally year over year, you would want earnings to be going up. But we are in this weird place where actually earnings moving backwards signals that maybe the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, their uh, steps to bring down inflation might be working. Well, I mean, it's certainly tied to overall economic growth, right? Because if, you know, if the economy is growing, you're going to see earnings growing. But when we look at, you know, earnings on a few different metrics, uh, just from a total report perspective, we have earnings down 7.3% so far. Sales, on the other hand, are actually a little bit higher. They're 2.2% higher over the past year. And what that tells us is that companies are not able to pass along all the cost, increased costs. They're not able to pass along inflation uh, because that would have too much of, of a negative impact. So you're seeing shrinking profit margins. So if you look at where we were uh, in about the middle part of 2022, our profit margins, which is the ratio of uh, net income to uh, sales, was about 13%, which is multi-decade highs, by the way. That's dropped now to about 10%. It's still somewhat elevated, just to be honest about it, when we think about the profit margins in general. However, you know we are seeing just a harder time for companies passing along those costs. And because that really relates to weaker consumer spending, uh, that could slow down overall demand on the economy. And that lower demand, getting back to your question, Amy, results in lower inflationary pressures. So yes, the Fed does want to see, you know, this start to come down because that could result in weaker inflation in the future. Well, Andy, none of this is really a surprise, right? I I mean, the first day that, and that was only about a year ago that the Fed started raising interest rates, we, we were talking about, okay, they raise interest rates, companies have to spend more money on interest, which is less money in profits. So this is kind of exactly what we were, I I wouldn't say hoping for, but to be expected. Yeah. Is that why the market isn't, you know, going bananas and dropping precipitously or, or is there something else at work here? 
Well, I know I think that's that's a really good point there when you talk about you know companies and their interest burden. But we also want to look at consumers and their interest burden. So when interest rates go up, it's more expensive for them to borrow and spend as well. So it's yeah. really both sides of the coin there. And when we look at what the effect is relative to earnings and the correlation with what that means for the stocks that make up the stock market. Yeah, to your point, Steve, a lot of this is expected. I mean, like we, like I said a little bit ago, earnings were expected to be lower by 8%. So when we see what's happened over the past year, right, we've seen some weakness in markets. There's no question about it. That is essentially pricing in the weakness we see today. So what we're seeing today is already priced into the market. Really what will matter for the market in the future is deviations from what's expected versus what actually becomes reality, right? So that's why we're not seeing too much, uh, you know, negative effects. I mean, still com different companies will have, you know, their own company specific risks that come up from the earnings report. And you'll see some do better than others. Obviously we're watching a lot on the banking side of things to see where deposits are to see any sort of weakness there. But overall, you know, things have pretty much been in line with expectations. We've seen almost 80% of companies report better than expected earnings, which is about normal, by the way. Companies usually lower the bar than beat the bar uh, on those lowered expectations. So when we look at where we're at right now, it's not too surprising. This week, though, it's going to be really interesting because we will get a lot of big name companies reporting profits. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. It's Monday. We're joined by our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, to make sense of the economy, the markets, everything that affects you. I want to talk about the labor market now because we talk about the fact that, hey, Earnings being down year over year is kind of what we would expect in this place where you've got the Federal Reserve raising inflation rates. We're, we're starting to see some cracks in the labor market, and the labor market really to this point has been completely impervious to anything the Fed's been doing. Yeah, and that's really what's held up the economy. So when you think about the economy as a whole, you might have heard the term soft landing out there, which means mm -hmm. the Fed would be able to possibly uh, raise interest rates without pushing us into a recession. And part of the reason that some people believe that to be the case was the labor market was still so strong and consumers were still able to keep their jobs. So they're still able to have this income to spend, which would keep the economy afloat. And when you look at the labor market, you see that the unemployment rate is near a 50 year low, right? We see other cracks in the job market. You see job openings below 10 million. That's first time in a couple, almost two years. Uh, the number of monthly jobs being added around 230,000 uh, in March, that was the lowest since 2020. We've also seen jobless claims, which are people filing for unemployment benefits. That fell or that started to rise over the past few uh, weeks here and it's trending up. So we're seeing things start to turn. So even though the unemployment rate's really, really low, we're seeing other areas of the labor market start to slip a little bit. Andy, I want to talk a little bit about what may be next. I, I mean, it looks like the, the interest rate increases, they're starting to get traction or they're starting to have the impact on the economy that we all expected. And and the lag time, I think, is what caught some people off guard. But that again, all of this is normal. Everything coming in looks pretty normal. But now the Fed, and, and by their own admission, is talking about when they have to actually cut interest rates. We, we still expect uh, what, a quarter percent increase May 3rd when, when they meet next week. But they're talking about cutting interest rates towards the end of next year. And Wall Street seems to think it's going to happen sooner. I, I guess my question is, 
why would they have to start cutting interest rates so soon? And and when do you think they're you're going to actually see that? Well, when we talk about the timing on when they cut interest rates, it's really two different scenarios. So under the Fed's timing, you know, next year, uh, probably later in the year, more than anything else, they would be cutting because inflation is getting more under control and they don't want to be restricting the economy as much. They want to be able to foster more economic growth without leading to in, uh, a resurgence in inflation. So that's okay. what the Fed would be looking at. But they also recognize that their interest rates are slowing the economy down, right? So they would want to cut rates, uh, not just to keep the economy afloat, but also to spur it a little bit more without causing that inflation uh, fire to flame back up. Now, the economy or the market, I should say, uh, based on Fed fund futures, which are securities that Wall Street traders trade, gauging where they think the Fed funds rate will be at different points in time. And they are essentially pricing in three rate cuts after the, the May 3rd hike. Can we talk about that for a second? Because that is so yeah. funny to me, right? You have the Federal Reserve very clearly saying, hey, here is our plan for this year. Obviously, their plan can change based on data that comes in to the contrary, but they're not talking about cutting interest rates. Yet the market, it's like the kid on the playground with the fingers in the ear, like, don't want to hear this, don't want to hear this. The markets are saying, yeah, but we really think what you're going to do is is rate or is to cut rates, even though you're saying you're not going to. Well, I think what the market's pricing in is really the middle point of two scenarios. The base case scenario or the most likely scenario is probably the Fed hikes on May 3rd and pauses. I mean, that's the most likely scenario, pauses for the rest of the year. Okay. However, the the real downside scenario is that we see a credit crunch because banks have tightened their lending standards. 70% of uh, banks have reported tighter lending standards over the past few weeks. Mm. And when you think about what that means, that means fewer loans are made out, fewer people borrow, fewer spending, and really a credit crunch brings down the economy, brings it down harder than what the Fed and what economists are looking for. So if we get a severe credit crunch, I think what you see is you see the Fed cut more than what's priced into the market, right? So maybe they cut by a percent and a half uh, between now and next January. So, but the base case is no cuts. Worst case scenario is a cut of, you know, a percent and a half. The middle point of that, that's what's priced into the market right now. So I think the market's really pricing in uh, the two uh, ends of uh, the possibilities when you think about different regimes. So, so okay, um, we're talking about, and the Fed said we're going to drop rates at some point, sometime in 24. The uh, Wall Street's saying, no, we think it's going to be this year. So we're not talking about if the Fed is going to drop rates at some point. We're talking about when. What does that mean for the average investor if they are indeed going to drop rates, whether it's this year, next year, and especially bondholders, people who have money invested in bonds? Well, when, when you think about bond investors, they would benefit when interest rates fall, right? right. So that would be good for good them if they see the short-term rates come down. The, the thing to remember, though, is that most every other interest rate is related in one way or another to the Fed funds rate that that the Fed controls, which is the overnight interest rate that banks can borrow from each other. Yep. Now, when we think about what that means, that means it can have an impact on 
five-year bonds, 10-year bonds, 20-year bonds. It's all related. But when we think about longer-term interest rates, what they're more related to is future expected economic growth. So when we see economic growth starting to slow here, what that means is you can see longer-term interest rates go down because what's being priced in is those future rate cuts. And that would impact the longer term rates a little bit more quickly than what, you know, a one month rate as an example, because the one month rate doesn't care or doesn't take into consideration a rate cut two years from now, but the 10 year rate would, right? So bondholders, bond investors uh, would actually benefit in the scenario where the Fed is cutting rates, where the economy is slowing down. So I know bonds had a tough year last year and they're up about what 3% or so this year on average 2 to yeah. 3%. And when you think about what the future may hold for them, you know, we're starting at a level of higher interest rates, so new investors get a, are getting a, certainly a better yield than what they had been getting, but also for holders of bonds today if they hold them over the next few years, you know, we think now is probably a pretty attractive moment in time because we do expect interest rates longer term interest rates and intermediate term interest rates to come down in the coming months and years. Here's the all-worth advice. Has the Fed done its job? Has it gone too far? Is a recession maybe on the way? If you are a smart, patient, long-term investor, honestly, the answer to those questions shouldn't impact you at all. Coming up, has the turmoil in the banking industry impacted local banks? We've got a couple of big ones here. We're going to look at that next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. If you can't catch our show every night, you do not have to miss out because we've got a daily podcast for you. Really easy to find. Just search Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcast. Straight ahead at 643, how to lower your taxes by investing. What you need to know there. All right, this used to be one of my favorite stores, which probably says something. Bed Bath & Beyond is now <laughs> Bed Bath & Well. Bankrupts. Bankrupt, yeah. Wah, wah. Over the weekend, they filed Chapter 11. And, and you know, they, they've been struggling for a while. I, I, yeah. I walked into one of their stores a couple of months ago, and it was obvious something was going on, you know? Yeah. And I didn't realize, yeah, okay, there's 360 Bed Bath & Beyond stores that are going to be shutting down. I didn't know they also own Bye Bye Baby stores. So I that's, just found that out recently. Yes, yeah. those are actually pretty popular. My cousin had twins uh, a year ago, and they're always talking about Bye Bye Baby and ordering from there. The problem with Bed Bath & Beyond is when everyone started buying things online, they just didn't get there yeah. quickly enough like everyone else did. And, so and they admitted when, that. Yeah. And then the yeah. pandemic came and it was like, well, you're not going into the store and you can't really easily find this stuff online. Yeah. And then they try to do these store refreshes, um, refreshes. And I, the one near me at Crestview Hills looks amazing when I go in, but maybe there's two other people in there when I walk in. So, yeah, Ouch. I think the writing was on the wall for yeah. this one. Yeah. And, and, you know, this was one of those meme stocks. This was one of those stocks yeah. that... You know, all of these small investors hopped on board because it was being shorted by large companies and these small investors, just like they did with some other stocks that were, you know, two, three, four bucks a share. They said, you know what? We're going to stick it to the man. We're going to keep buying this stock and driving it up and drive those short sellers, the guys that 
sell first and make money when a stock drops. We're going to stick it to the man. Um, they didn't stick it to anybody. I mean, no. when a company goes out of business. Stuck it to themselves the, a little bit. Yeah, the stock sell. usually goes bye-bye. And it, it just proves once again to me, Amy, that, you know, the big money out there, they usually have a pretty good idea of what's really going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of options trading. However, there are certain companies that they look at and there's a reason yeah. why they short sell them. And this one, I mean, it was just apparent to everyone who walked in the store or jumped on their on their uh, website that they were behind the time. So yeah. for Bed Bath & Beyond, a store that's been around, gosh, for years and years and years, when I think back, um, we're about to see the last of them. Kind of sad, but it's kind of how these things go. Speaking of industries, right, and, and things changing, we've had some... I don't even know. I wouldn't say banking collapsed recently because that's way too strong of a word. But we have. Well, you had... think so if you listen to some news outlets? They made a big it, deal out of what right, was going on, which I think is one of those kind of like the sky is falling, the sky yeah, is falling, yeah. which really freaks people out. And that's why I like it that we're talking about this today. We're talking about a local bank, Fifth Third, right? Yeah. And we're in earnings season as they do as they report how they're doing. It's really nice to kind of look under the hood and say, okay, if if you're worried about other banks, Banks, what's how healthy is Fifth Third? And the answer is really healthy. Pretty, yeah, pretty darn healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Cincinnati's own Fifth Third just reported uh, quarterly earnings, first quarter profits, $591 million. That's up 18%. I, I mean, Andy just got done talking about how a lot of companies are, you know, down 7%. Down on average, 7%. On profits. Yeah. Yeah, here's Fifth Third up 18% and revenues were up 18% also. You know, and this, I'll tell you why this is important, Amy, is when Silicon Valley Bank went bust and, and you know, First Republic and then Credit Suisse and, you know, a lot of the doom and gloomers were saying, oh my goodness, is this another reason that we're going to have another 2008? The banking sector is in crisis and, and, you know, the financial system is on the verge of collapse. Who knows how many other banks have the same problems these banks had? And the bottom line is, yeah, a couple of banks failed banking 101 and well-run banks are doing just fine Thank you. There is no systemic issue going on. Yeah, there might be another bank or two uncovered that uh, are, you know, trying to play it fast and loose and, and um, you know, maybe got into some risky investments. But Fifth Third apparently is not one of them. Not only that, but when the news of Silicon Valley Bank collapsing, there was a sort of panic among all people, a lot of people, I guess, saying, we, is my bank safe? And, and several, yeah. several banks reported kind of a run on deposits, people going in and saying, I, I'm pulling my money out. I'm not. So during that time, right, when when all this news was breaking, Fifth or Bank says, hey, we were actually stable. In fact, we got more people coming yeah. to us during that time. Reputation, great branding. That's right? where the Just, money was going too. Yes. So it wasn't that people were necessarily taking their money out of these banks and coming home and putting it under their mattresses. They were finding banks that they knew that they could trust and really glad to see that Fifth Third Bank has been one of those. Yeah, I, I am too. But, you know, it's good for the bank. You know, be careful. Is it, is it good for you? I, I mean, FDIC insurance covers you for up to $250,000. So if you've got less than $250,000, your biggest concern isn't necessarily the stability of the bank. It's what kind of interest rate are you getting? If you're getting next to nothing in interest, just make sure, first of all, find out what you're getting and then find out what you're what alternatives are out there. I know on money market funds, um, you can get two, two and a half percent in local banks, never mind going online. 
Online banks north of 4% right now. And yeah. that's the interesting thing uh, that I want to point out is one of the reasons why Fifth Third Bank is doing so well is because of these higher interest rates, right? It's a good time for banks to hold your money. Um, and it's a good time for you then to be looking at those banks and saying, okay, how do I get more interest out of this then? Shop around. Here's the all worth advice. Big banks like our own Fifth Third, they seem to be in very good shape despite everything that happened to a few smaller regional banks recently. Coming up next, the jobs that could go away thanks to AI. Could it be yours? We'll take a look. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. A couple of weeks ago, my husband and I were watching TV. I think it was on a Sunday night. I think it was 60 Minutes and they were talking about AI and the people who are developing it and, and all the ways that these that AI has started to change the world and the th- the predictions. And my husband and I were looking at each other and we're like, people's jobs are going to go away. It's insane yeah. what these computers can do now. Well, there are now predictions about which kinds of jobs will be going away first. Joining us tonight with maybe a warning about your job is our tech expert, Dave Hatter from Intrust IT. You've been talking about AI for a while. Uh, and at first I was like, oh, come on, can this really do this stuff? And it, it really creeps me out now what this what this can do. Yeah, well, as always, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's come a long way very quickly. You know, the concept of artificial intelligence is not new. It's been around for a long time. But there have been a lot of advances uh, in a relatively short period of time, things like ChatGPT, DALI, MidJourney, you know, synthetic media is sort of the the catch-all term for content that's generated completely from whole cloth by a computer, uh, which also gets into deep fakes. And that's one of my major concerns about all of this stuff. But now, whether it's text like from ChatGPT or images from Stable Diffusion or Valley or other, you know, you create video, you can create audio, you can create text, pretty much anything can be created um, completely by a computer at this point. And it's all increasingly realistic and, uh, you know, rapidly advancing. It's pretty wild. And I think surprising to people who haven't experienced it. Dave, I, I think a lot of people that are hearing about artificial intelligence for the first time, maybe in the last well, when Chat GPT started started becoming yep. newsworthy, I, I think everybody's first reaction is they're scared. I, and you know, I, I don't want to. There's a lot of alarmist alarmist articles out there, and I I know better than to ask you about. <laughs> are you optimistic? But I, are I mean, you alarmed? This, yeah. Does this really scare you? I don't know that I'm. I would say I'm scared, but I'm certainly concerned about it on a yeah. number of different fronts. I mean, you know, I've worked with ChatGPT pretty extensively now, and uh, it's got some amazing capabilities. It's got a lot of problems too. I don't want to overlook that. You know, it can be fooled. Um, if you read mm-hmm. their terms of service, it'll tell you sometimes it will quote hallucinate unquote and create something completely from whole cloth. And I don't know if either one of you two happened to catch the story. You may be familiar with Jonathan Turley. He's a pretty high-profile attorney. And uh, ChatGPT, or it might have been Bard. I forget which AI it was. But someone asked it to come up with a list of attorneys who had been accused of sexual harassment. And it listed him for something he supposedly did on a field trip, which never occurred. Oh. So, yeah, Yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. It's gotten a lot of press, uh, you know, for anyone that's interested in looking into it. But... You know, Steve, to your point about, you know, am I concerned? I, you know, Amy, you mentioned the the taking of jobs. I think yeah. right now we're in a place where it can be a powerful tool to augment your job, depending on what you do. We've used it for a lot of different things at Intrust. Um, 
you know, it's never perfect. You got to understand that it will sometimes make stuff up. You're not going to get sources, but when it works, it's a really powerful tool where it might get you like, I need a blog post on X written as a cybersecurity expert. You know, it might be your question for it. It'll generate something that's probably 60 to 80% complete. And then you just need to tweak it. So it's, it's a great way to supplement existing jobs. But I do think, you know, over the long run, when you look at how capable it is today, you're going to see a lot of jobs that will be negatively impacted because, you know, if I just right now needed a writer, I wouldn't hire a writer. I would just go try chat GPT and see if it can't get me the boilerplate again, 60 to 80% of what I want. And then I would just tweak it from there. So yeah, I, I think you're going to see some definite downsides. Now, you know, when you hear the experts talk, they'll go back to things like, you know, the old, uh, the old standard of the horse and carriage and the buggy whip and that sort of thing. You know, new jobs, I think, will be created as a result of this. Will it offset the jobs that are lost? I don't know. But, you know, right now I'm more concerned about the possibility of how these things can be used for fraud and crime. And I think it's going to be a tidal wave. Well, and I think it's easy to look at these jobs and, you know, among those listed accountants, right? And you think about, okay, the programs that you run already, accountants could easily be replaced maybe by, by AI. Content moderators, uh, the people that are looking at social media websites and trying to figure out, you know, does this need to be pulled? Does this not? You know, there's algorithms for those things that could easily be pulled. Legal assistants, a couple people in my family with legal assistants for years, um, they might be able to. So Dr. there's a lot of like. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of like really well-known jobs, but I was watching this show and, and the example that was on there, because when I think about artificial intelligence, I always think about, yeah, but it doesn't have emotions. It's not thinking and feeling, so it can't do those kinds of jobs, except that they gave, I think it was, I don't know, ChatGPT or Bard, this job to do. They said, okay, we're going to start with this, you know, Ernest Hemingway's The Shortest Story Ever Written. Uh, was it a for sale? baby shoes never worn, right? Those six words, you know, very famous and said, finish this story. That's all that, that it was given. It finished that story so beautifully that you would have thought Hemingway himself had written the rest <laughs> of the story. And I was like, oh my gosh, here goes my job. Here goes everybody else's job. I mean, it really is crazy when you think about somehow by just taking in everything on the internet, the, this artificial intelligence learns, maybe it doesn't think emotively, emotively um, but it is able to create content that is based on emotion. Well, you know, these like ChatGPT is based on a large language model where there was something like 170 billion inputs. Um, yeah, the training on it stopped in 2021. And that's that's another interesting angle of this. Things like copyright. And I don't know if you happen to catch any of the news. Elon Musk has been threatening to sue Microsoft now that um, ChatGPT is integrated with Bing because he's saying, OK, you guys use things like the public facing Twitter to feed into this and things like Reddit and other sources like this to get this content. Now, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna pretend like I really understand how the algorithms behind it work, but it has to do with statistics and knowing what word should come after another word and that sort of thing. But yeah, you're right, Amy. I mean, just, I, I've used it for some actual professional work related things. And I've also mm -hmm. just tried to play around with it, for example. Yeah. You know, on Valentine's Day, I had it write a poem for my wife. It wasn't bad. <laughs> Better than anything I would come up with, I can tell you that. 
Uh, did you, you know, tell her? Did it, you tell her you wrote it, or did you give the credit to artificial uh, intelligence? I, I eventually told her, <laughs> you know, it was written by ChatGPT. I've also, because you know, part of the trick of using a tool like ChatGPT is to be as specific as possible in your question. In fact, it's called prompt engineering. You know, that's what we nerds call it. And you know, you can go in and say like, write a song in the style of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and it'll give you a song. Wow. Um, you know. Is it as good as something they would have come up with? Well, probably not. But it, the quality is surprisingly good most of the time. Now, as long as you understand that it, it will make things up from whole cloth, and they warn you about that, and that you know, you're know you not going to get any sources with this output, yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable what it can do. And this is the free public version. You know, ChatGPT4 has been released. You still have to pay for that. It had 170 trillion inputs, so a power of 10 different. And it's pretty mind-blowing what it can do. It can also work with images and some other stuff that the the previous version can. But I guess the, the big thing in my mind is there are certain jobs I do believe in the relatively short period of time are just going to be obsolete. Again, I would I can't imagine why I'm a writer right now. But I can pop in there and for free, in mm-hmm. in a matter of seconds, have it give me something that you know I can probably take across the finish line in you know maybe an hour. Um, and then when you throw in all the other types of AI out there, again, the stuff that can generate videos, the stuff that can generate photos, the stuff that can generate audio, which I'm So graphic designers, about. right? Graphic designers, yes, watch your back. graphic designers. Yes, a and lot of creative fields that you wouldn't think about as well. I, I think so, because, you know, that's always been one of the knocks that the, these tools won't be able to replace the creative aspect of this. But again, I think especially if you have some limited graphic design capability and you can take the output from one of these things and then tweak it, I, you know, I think you're going to see a big impact there. there. There's, again, the whole copyright angle of this is problematic too. There's, I don't know if you guys heard the story. There was a woman who was using a lot of these different tools to create a comic book. Mm. And it ended up in court and they basically said you can't copyright any of the content that came out of one of these tools. So mm. kind of ruined the whole comic book. So, I also think about it, that kid's getting ready to go to college. And I'm like, are you really going to write those papers yourselves? Right? I, I, mean, I can guarantee you I wouldn't. Yeah, it's so. changing everything. And I think the takeaway is, I don't know, watch your back. Artificial intelligence could be coming for your job unless you know how to code artificial intelligence or, or you, you let people use it somehow to benefit themselves. I think that's probably the jobs of the future. Thank you, as always, to our tech expert, Dave Hatter from Interest IT. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovag. If you've got a financial question that's bothering you, maybe it's keeping you up at night, you can bring it straight to us. There's an easy way. There's a red button you click on. You're listening to the show on the iHeart app. That question is coming straight to us. We'd love to talk about it right here on the show. Straight ahead. You need to be very careful about what you say to your coworkers and maybe if you are a manager. And we're going to tell you why that is uh, and how one woman learned that lesson the hard way. You know, nobody likes paying taxes. There's the annual conversation that I dread every year with my husband, which goes like this. All right, talk to the accountant, tax (laughs) returns, here's what we owe, here's how much we're getting back. And by the way, here's how much we paid last year. And and you literally get this like 
not in your stomach. Like we paid how much in taxes last year? And of course the goal for everyone is to keep as much of that money in your pocket as possible. We're not talking about evading taxes. We're talking about legal ways to keep a little bit of that money. Well, yeah. And, you know, I think people just routinely forget about the the plain old taxable joint brokerage account. Because I mean, it says taxable in it. It sounds, exactly. not only does it not sound sexy, it sounds like downright yuck, taxable no, but, accounts. Let me explain my point on this because some people, and, and you know, God love them, they, they're, they're incredibly efficient with savings. You know, they come to me as they're approaching retirement and they've just got lots of money saved up in 401ks and IRAs and good for you. But when you're retired, you're going to start drawing money out of investments. You go from being a saver to a spender. And that's where the tax efficiency kind of falls by the wayside, because when you take money out of an IRA or a 401k in retirement, every dime you take out is going to be taxable. Uh, You know, you can argue, yeah, maybe a portion's after tax money, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's taxable. You draw 10 grand out of your 401k, it's $10,000 of income, just like you earned it on your job at whatever your current income tax rate is. The old-fashioned brokerage taxable investment account is treated completely differently. Mm -hmm. And if you hold on to your investments, let's say you've got a joint account with some, maybe some Procter & Gamble, maybe some mutual mutual funds, whatever the case is, and you've held those investments for at least a year and one day, which by definition makes them long-term gains instead of short-term, there's a heck of a favorable tax treatment on those profits. So, you know, it's something don't forget about your joint brokerage account. I like it too, because there's so much more flexibility. I and mean, when you think about your IRA and your 401k, and, and I also have these accounts too, big fans of them, but they don't have so much flexibility. If you need to get to money before the yeah. age of 59 and a half, right? Like there's just, there's a, but a brokerage account, you can take that money out anytime you want to for any reason that you want to the government just says hey listen we we aren't big fans of day trading we're not going to incentivize people to be buying and selling constantly but if you buy something and you hold it for at least a year you're going to pay capital gains tax on that instead of your regular income tax and for most people the difference is is can be huge in fact for some people capital gains can end up being nothing or yeah. it ends up being about half what you would pay in regular income tax. Yeah, I want to expand on that a little bit. If you didn't hear Amy, she just said your tax rate may be zero. In other words, is it possible to sell a stock or a mutual fund and pay no tax on the profit? Yes, it is. Yeah, if you held it longer than a year and a day and your adjusted gross income is below eighty-nine grand and change. Now, ta- check with your tax advisor before you do anything. I mean, we are not tax <laughs> well, experts. Well, Steve Strobeck said. T- yeah, but I, I can tell you the long-term capital gains tax rate is 0% under $89,250. So, you know, let's say you make $50,000 when you're retired. You know, that's your adjusted gross income. And you've got three or $4,000 of profit from selling some sort of investment that you held on more than a year or so. Um, yeah, it's very possible that you, you don't owe a dime on that. Now, let, let's go get a little more realistic because in retirement, probably the bulk of your money is going to be in combinations of IRAs and 401ks. You need $10,000 for living expenses for you know a trip, whatever the case is. Well, if you're lucky enough that you're making maybe ninety, hundred thousand dollars adjusted gross, you probably on that ten thousand dollars you just took out of your retirement account, 
probably are going to pay somewhere around 22% on, on that $10,000, $2,200 in, in tax, in other words. If instead you take that $10,000 out of your joint investment account, not a 401k, not an IRA, and, and let's say maybe 10% of that is profit, you only pay tax on the profit. So of that 10 grand, if only 10% is profit, that's a thousand bucks that that is taxable. And if it's long-term, you're probably going to pay 15% tax on that. Um, that's $150 in tax versus $2,200. Guess yes. where I would rather take the ten grand out of? These it's a lot more make beneficial. A difference. Yes, understand yeah, that. Here's the all-worth advice. Investing can many times lower your taxable income, which can keep more money in your hands. Coming up next, a rant that was heard around the world that might have you thinking twice about how you talk to your coworkers. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Spravak. I would say at one point or another, Steve, we have all said something that we thought, mm, that didn't come <laughs> out the way I intended it to. Every day, Amy. <laughs> wish I could take that back. Yeah. We are on a radio show, so you'd think we would have learned by now. But uh, there is a woman who's the CEO of a big company, and she has been all over the headlines recently, not necessarily because of the furniture company that she runs, but because of a Zoom meeting that she held with her employees, uh, where, you know, these these are employees that are used to getting annual bonuses. Uh, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, Something had gone out saying no bonuses this year, and she got questions about it. So here she is thinking she's doing everyone a favor, and she's going to directly address the issue of bonuses. Here's what the CEO, Andy Owen, said. Don't ask about what are we going to do if you don't get a bonus. Get the damn $26 million. Spend your time and your effort thinking about the $26 million we need and not thinking about what you're going to do if we don't get a bonus. All right? Can I get some commitment for that? I would appreciate that. I had an old boss who said to me one time, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. So people, leave Pity City. Let's get it done. Thank you. <laughs> Ouch. Leave Pity City, people. Oh, I wonder if she's in Pity City right now because there well, has been quite a backlash. You said no, nobody got their bonuses, almost nobody, because she got her $4 million bonus in 2022. Yes. It, you know, it, she yeah. sounds insanely tone deaf. And, and and this is the age of Zoom calls where it's not like she was behind closed doors with five people. And those five people came out and said, I have to tell you what the CEO said. Oh, my goodness. Listen <laughs> no, to this. No, recorded. someone literally recorded this and it is all over Twitter and the Twitterverse and the Web and all the places. And she's gotten a lot of heat. And, and, and now she's kind of apologized. And she said, I just want to be transparent and apathetic. I'm trying to reflect on what I did and I feel horrible. And this is what she says, that my rallying cry seemed insensitive. If you put your shoes into the, if you put yourself in the shoes of those people listening, did yeah. that feel like a rallying cry to you? Like, no, that, that was like not exactly was motivational. No, no, exactly. Yeah. So, and I, I think we're seeing a little bit of a backlash. People are getting tired of this garbage. You know, just be transparent, be a good person, be a good leader. It's okay. We'll get through it. You don't have to be like that. Yeah, she said she was trying to energize her team to meet a challenge, and it just maybe landed in a way that she didn't intend, and for that, I am sorry. We all learn lessons. She is certainly learning this one the hard way. Listen, assume anything that you put out there is going to end up all over the world, so just don't say it. 
Thanks for listening tonight. We hope you're going to tune in tomorrow. We're talking about the four life events when you should contact that financial advisor. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial on 55KRC, the talk station.